Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. And alongside me, as always, we've got TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook. And we're joined once again by Scott Minto. This is what's coming up on the show today. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at Luton's form, I think Everton will go and Luton will stay up. In terms of the Zerbi, just because they lost 4-0, for me, it doesn't mean that he wouldn't be a candidate for Liverpool, although I actually think he'd probably suit Manchester City better than Liverpool. I'm just not convinced Arsenal are playing that well at the moment. I know they've won their last two. Obviously, they destroyed Crystal Palace, but I think that was as much down to Palace's deficiencies as it was to, to Arsenal really blowing them away. And they took a while to get going against Forest. For me, the fascinating thing is to see whether Trent comes back in and what do you do and where do you put him? Because Connor Bradley, you know, we've spoken about him in short, brief moments. He has been sensational. The January transfer window is over. <laughs> Big question. Did it ever really start? Um, it was a case of deadline day, wasn't it? A dead January in, in general, really, Alex. I mean, you... You pretty much had the easiest month. Usually, he's, he's sweating, he's moaning. I just need a day off, mate. I just need. I need to go to Portugal for a week after this. It's just been so, so hard. Um, but it feels like you've been on the beach for for a month. Oh, I'm still going to get a, a week in Portugal. Don't worry about that. Uh, but it, yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it, it was a quiet window. I think we knew it would be quiet. I'm not sure we expected it to be quite as dormant as it was. But I think it's. Uh, it's a direct consequence of those 10 points that Everton have had taken away and the charges against Everton and Forest. People are spooked by that. that They're very aware of profit and sustainability rules. And I think also the fact the bottom two teams are so poor has been a factor. Those teams maybe would be looking nervously over their shoulders. No, there's only really one relegation place to play for. And, uh, you know, I think that's made a difference. And Manchester United keeping their powder dry for what I think will be a big summer as well was a factor. Yeah, I noticed that uh, watching the YouTube show that you did last night with uh, Jim White, which was very good, by the way, and you look very, very smart, although there was an incident where uh, in the comments people started to uh, organise a crowdfunding agreement for you to get a new blazer, um, the, uh, that you, you adopted my line, didn't you? You started to, 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 uh, to take the, 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 the sort of lead from the idea of clubs in, the, in Europe not having enough money and that there was... Uh, uh, probably about to become a deflation of uh, transfer fees and that we've been talking about on this podcast for a very long time because the way that profit, profit and sustainability works is, is ultimately you cannot keep going with these huge transfer fees. If, if you can only lose £105 million over three years, you can't then spend hundreds and hundreds of million pounds 
on transfers and have wage bills that are 80, 90, even 100% of turnover. Uh, so it was always bound to change, wasn't it, Scott? Absolutely, mate. Yeah, you know, you, you, you've been saying it for weeks. Crookie was absolutely spot on. By the way, I think I was slightly harsh, Crookie, because I was actually thinking that's the smartest I've seen you look. How worrying um, is that? <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, look, yeah, you know, the bottom line is if you've got a limit of how much money you're allowed to lose and you can't go over that limit. And, and Crookie's absolutely right because of the threat of the independent regulator. The Premier League are taking their rule book seriously. So they are uh, deducting points off teams and, and, and possibly more. And teams have to take it seriously. So, you know, absolutely. You know, it's it's not surprising. It is going to be interesting to see how the summer goes, because clearly... Yes. You know, players, you know, it is different. And January is a sort of panic by stroke overpay. But still, the principles are the same. You have to keep within the, the, the parameters. So I'm fascinated to see how the summer's going to go. Players, teams will want to change players, but they're going to have to sell before they buy. And also, I think you'll see a lot more movement of uh, players that are out of contract or players whose contracts are coming to an end for nominal fees. Maybe like the prime example, and I think this will happen more often, there's a guy who's playing for Bristol City, Andreas Feynman. He's the, not going to sign a new contract. So the idea is, well, there's no point in having him around the club if he's not going to sign a new contract. West Bromwich Albion needs to have some sort of uh, striker, but they've got a player that's on loan at, at uh at Bristol City, and they think, well, well, if we take him for six months and just play the rest of his contract, we'll have him for free, and then you can get a better deal on the kid who you're going to sign from us on a permanent basis. And it's almost like this sort of negotiation, where in the end, real money doesn't really change hands. It's just like figures on a balance sheet to keep things like level, and you have players move in those circumstances. I think that's going to happen in the Premier League as well over the course of the next year or so. Um, we'll move off from that because it was pretty boring. Biggest transfer probably of the day, Crook, was Armando Breuer going to Fulham uh, and Sadia, uh, Saeed Benrahma going to Fulham. Oh, hold on a second. There's something, the fax machine didn't work. <laughs> well, not, not just him, but Pablo Fornells as well. That one's not been ratified yet either. And I do wonder, you know, in 2024, how a club can make such a paperwork bungle because let's let's... Let's dispel a myth. Fax machines aren't involved anymore. It's all done electronically. Fax machines haven't been used on deadline day for a while. And I do wonder if if West Ham have deliberately dragged their heels because it, it seems strange to let both Ben Rama and Fournals go out without bringing in a replacement. To me, it would have left the squad looking very light. Well, hold on. They were never going to let uh, Fournals go, right? Okay, Because Fournals was in a West Ham tracksuit at the London Stadium last night at half past nine. I saw him with my own eyes. Like, he... he so he wasn't going to Betis. It wasn't happening. Well, he, he did his medical in London uh, before attending the game. And, and the Betis president has come out and said that they're still confident this deal will get done. I'm not sure it will. Well, we'll see. We never know. Maybe maybe it will. Maybe it will have a, a, a January transfer that goes through in February. Uh, right, let's put that forgettable transfer window uh, in the past where it belongs and get stuck into a full slate of Premier League action this weekend, starting with a big one at Goodison Park. It's 
Premier League football just the way we like it on Talk Sport. Anana is out there, Henry from Tarkovsky, and they've scored! Everton rolled the dice to the area, Kulisewski, bits and call! Wins it, baby, for Tottenham Hotspur! Spurs back into the top four. Pulls it back, Pedro. 3-0! What a goal from Pedro! It's finished, Crystal Palace 3, Sheffield United 2, a precious, precious win for Palace. It is a feisty derby. A, a test, test of credentials. Elise will stride forward and curl it left footed! What a goal! Absolutely astonishing! Michael Elise! From Tony! It had to be! Ivan Tony scores! De Bruyne tries to tease it into the far corner and does so with a plum. The Premier League. Absolutely magnificent. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Everton have failed to score in each of their last three Premier League games. This, Scott, despite having 41 attempts at goal, I've started to put together my notes for this earlier in the week. Dominic Calvert-Lewin hasn't scored in 16 games. Ouch. Yeah, and he's meant to be the guy that's, that takes Everton away from the relegation zone. And, and look, it's, it's no win in five after what was four straight victories. I just think that that second charge and possible points deduction has has really knocked the wind out of them. And, you know, they're out of the FA Cup to Luton, who, of course, are, you know, one of the rivals down there as well. They had the same players playing over Christmas. They need injured players back. But but ultimately, yeah, it's about putting the ball in the back of the net. And, you know, there's a lot of clubs we can say in the Premier League that don't have that clinical striker. Just goes to show how hard it is to do. But if your top player, your main guy has gone that long without scoring, then there's a big worry. And I think generally speaking, I think Everton, where we thought not that long ago, will be okay, even after the 10-point deduction. You know, even before the second one comes in, and we'll see what happens there, they are right back in it of that, there's no doubt. And Crook, as far as you understand it, from what you were saying last night on the YouTube programme, you don't think they're going to get any points back from their original deduction they'll face another deduction. So the worst is yet to come. Yeah, I think so. Just just speaking to people who know far more about legal matters than me, they're convinced that the independent panel would have presented quite a watertight case. Uh, having gone into minute detail, obviously Everton's basis of the appeal is the fact that they didn't realise that interest payments on loans taken out to build their stadium uh, would be included in the PSR rules. There are areas that you do get dispensation but this isn't one of them they're also going to claim they haven't gained a sporting advantage I'm not sure that will hold water either so I think it's it's a really worrying time for Everton I was at the game on Tuesday night and they had they had some golden chances I mean it, it was it was chaos at the end when Beto's missed from a couple of yards and then he's blocked a goal bound shot from his own teammate their lack of goals is a big problem and I feel for Dominic Calvert-Lewin because we're coming up to a, a European Championship and a couple of years ago, he would have been right in the frame for a place on the plane. He's miles away from that now. And yeah, I think, you know, you look at Luton's form, I think Everton will go and Luton will stay up. Yeah, um, the Premier League actually have sort of the, the contested the fact that those, uh, um, the, that, that the defence from Everton, that they suggest that basically they, they insist they didn't breach the conditions of their uh, agreement because they had to uh, pay. They didn't. They had to pay interest on a loan. They, they took out a loan, which they said was for use of the Bramley Moor Dock Stadium. But actually, uh, the Premier League, when investigating, it say actually no. The, the stadium has been funded by different loans, and it wasn't those loans. So 
they've been through it forensically and decided that that's not a defence in the first place. So I think there is, uh, I think there's a little bit of that. That may be where the independent appeals panel goes in and has a look and, and works out whether or not that is the case or not, because they think Mashiri's loans funded the stadium rather than the ones that they took out. And it does just feel as if there's sort of a little bit of a cloud hanging over them. And it'd be interesting to go there on Saturday. And I will be there uh, for Talk Sport when Tottenham come to town. Because Tottenham themselves, you know, not a perfect team, Scott, by any stretch of the imagination. And watching that game on Wednesday night, one of the things was, I mean, you know, how badly they played in the first half where Brentford took them apart, really. And then in the second half, it was almost like a, a reversal of fortune, wasn't it? Because they'd made a couple of changes. Brentford seemed to lose their way. Spurs came out and actually played like Tottenham Hotspur have been playing under Ange Postecoglou, and the game turned on its head. Although Doggy did his very best to keep it interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think he was involved in all five goals. Um, look, the first fifteen minutes, and I was with Crookie. I thought Spurs started well, but then you know Brentford, even without the ball, controlled the game up until half time. Obviously, got the goal. Um, and I was saying, look, they've got to survive the first 10, 15 minutes because if they're able to do that, then the crowd might start to get nervous. You know, they might do the same as what they did in the first half, where, which was not play with the same intensity, lose that belief. And well, I mean, you've got to say fair play to Ange for making the substitutions. He took off both holding midfielders. He put on Hoiberg, uh, moved Kulisevsky into the middle as well, but he didn't play as a holding midfielder and put Brennan Johnson on the right. And that first 10, 15 minutes, Crookie, I mean, they were brilliant, weren't they? I mean, it's just played with absolute high intensity in the way that we know Spurs can. And you, you're looking at a game here where one team doesn't score goals and the other team just does in every single game. I don't see this being a, a high-scoring game, but I do see Spurs scoring one more than Everton. They've scored 47 goals this season. Only the top two sides have scored more. That's the most at this stage since 1963-64 for Tottenham Hotspur. They're unbeaten in their last 10 visits to Goodison Park. It brings the best out of them. And in fact, their record against Everton is unbelievable. They have uh, only lost one of their last 22 Premier League games against them. It's almost as if they're, they're a bit of a bogey team for Everton, which doesn't bode well for the game on Saturday afternoon. Um, how are they going to configure that midfield? Because I thought this was really interesting because our, the changes after halftime were, were, were quite brave, weren't they? Because he, he went from the sort of formation that he's been playing all season with the two pivots and the holding midfield players. He actually changed it to Hoiberg in front of the back four and then basically four midfielders and the striker. And I thought that was really brave from Ange Postecoglou, but it did change the dynamic of the game and it really helped them the way they, they played in that second 45. It actually got me thinking, Scott, that maybe Chelsea need to do something similar because at the moment their double pivot isn't really working and mm. they need to free players up further up the pitch and it might be something that they consider. Uh, so I think he deserves a little bit of, of, of credit uh, for that. What was the atmosphere going to be like at Goodison Park, do you think, on Saturday, Brooke? Um, well, I don't think it'll be as raucous as, as it has been. Um, obviously there was do you know what do you know what did them it was that Manchester United game wasn't it when you know they got the, the points deduction you thought well, they're going to come out they're going to create a bear pit and then Ganacho scored the goal of the season within seconds to completely burst the bubble Yeah, I don't think the atmosphere has ever quite been the same since then I think there's a lot of trepidation a lot of fear around Everton fans and you know they're not happy with the football there was a lot of very critical callers to the, the, um, the game day phone in the previous weekend when they were dumped out of the FA Cup by Luton so yeah, I don't think it's going to be overly hostile. 
it'll be interesting to see how Ange does set the team up. I, I'm not sure that he'll start with the formation he finished with. That was more out of necessity, I think, than, than choice. I think it'll be a much more traditional formation. I do wonder with Brennan Johnson, uh, is he more of an impact player coming off the bench and, and making a mark on the game than a starter? I think, he, for me, he's tended to look better when he's come on a sub than he has when he started. It's interesting with him, isn't it? Because he, he clearly has got a lot of talent. But, Scott, one of his big issues is he hasn't refined the consistency of delivery with the final ball. He gets into great positions down that right-hand side. But his final ball can sometimes be questionable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's ultimately what it's all about. Listen, a lot of money was spent. Obviously, I was interested to see how he'd do if he was to come on against Brentford because Brentford obviously made that, that bid for him earlier and, and would have perhaps helped uh, Nottingham Forest in there battle against FFP if they'd accepted the bid. But he comes on, he scores. Look, he's got raw pace. Um, he's a very good player. He's got a lot of potential, but he's a million miles away from the finished article. So I, I do think he's uh, uh, one to come off the bench and change the game in a certain way. Because I don't think yet he's cute enough in terms of his football intelligence to, to start the game and play exactly the way that Ange wants his team to play. Uh, Madison came back uh, in midweek and uh, yeah, he still looks a little bit ring rusty. They're, obviously, he's going to take a little bit of time. He, he was played in the game against uh, Manchester City, then obviously started the match in midweek as well. And you, you just think like, OK, he probably needs a few games to get them into his legs before he's up to full fitness. Obviously, a little bit tetchy as well. I didn't know I needed beef between Madison and Mopai, but really... It's got to be one of the funniest moments of the season. I, I, I sent Crook loads of screenshots on the Instagram uh, after uh, after the game. And the fact they both did it, uh, both Mope and um, Madison, made me laugh even more. Mope saying, oh, I went a little bit early with this one. And then Madison sort of rubbing it in his face. Um, just because someone did his dart celebration. He, you know, he should have copyrighted it if he, if he was that sensitive about it. Don't you think, Crook? <laughs> well, it gave us a talking point. Poster Cogley wasn't actually particularly um, happy with it. I think he thought it was playground stuff. I asked Thomas Frank about it. He wasn't aware of the celebration. But <laughs> well, it was. that maybe it, it wasn't the wisest move. But listen, Neil Mopai, I mean, there was an instant inside the first two minutes of the game that Neil Mopai uh, threw Christian Romero to the ground. If anyone can cause a ruckus in an empty telephone box, it's Neil Mopai. And actually, close second would be Romero. So he's a pest, isn't he? But... I think he does uh, yeah. He does make himself look a bit foolish at times. I'm not sure why Madison really reacted, to be fair. They've got the points. Just be the bigger man. Uh, looking forward to that. I do think they look a little bit vulnerable uh, at the other end. They give you a chance, that's for sure, Tottenham Hotspur. But we'll see how they get on on Saturday lunchtime. It's live on TalkSport. It kicks off at 12.30. Brighton Crystal Palace. Uh, the grudge match between two ends of the M23 kicks off on TalkSport 2 at 3 o'clock this Saturday. And Brighton were thumped in midweek and it was a poor performance. Probably one of the worst performances that they've had under uh, Roberto De Zerbi. And it was during a week in which a lot of people started talking about the possibility of him getting a bigger job, even being possibly um, Jurgen Klopp's replacement. Um, it's only one win in seven games now. And in fact, they've not won or scored in their last three Premier League games. And they've had a lot of shots in that uh, match. Is this something that you have to accept about Brighton, Scott? You know, it is a team that isn't going to be as consistent as some of those big, big clubs that have got the the big, big budgets. They are a young team. They are a developing team. And occasionally you're going to get inconsistency. Or do they need to be held more account for a performance like that? 
No, look, I mean, in terms of the, the one-off performance, it wasn't good enough. But if you're 1-0 down after one minute and 2-0 down after three, it's going to be very difficult, whoever you play against, to try and come back from that. So that's a sloppy start. But again, I wouldn't I wouldn't judge Brighton or De Zerbe on that. Look, Brighton have never had it so good. You know, this is the best it's ever been for the club. So top half in, in the Premier League, latter stages of the Europa League. Wow. And, and playing great football, of course they're not going to be able to fight on a consistent basis against the real big boys. And, you know, we're talking about our Tottenham in the title race, our Villa in the title race. And I'm saying no, 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 because they haven't got the depth in squad. And this is little old Brighton. What De Zerbi has done is is something special to, to take it on from what Graham Potter did as well. And there's always going to be blips in the road. That obviously was a big one. And the important thing then is to bounce back in the very next game. But in terms of De Zerbi, just because they lost 4-0, for me, it doesn't mean that he wouldn't be a candidate for Liverpool. Although I actually think he'd probably suit Manchester City better than Liverpool. Yeah, they're currently on their best ever unbeaten home run in the top flight. Nine games, although they've won just two of their last seven there. João Pedro's got seven goals in his last six in all competitions. But again, a lot of those in cup competitions, he scored just one of his last in one of his last eight Premier League appearances, especially when he scored against uh, Tottenham Hotspur in that chaotic game. But Crystal Palace, you know, after what was a really dodgy run, they've actually put together quite a good couple of weeks, haven't they? You know, they're looking to win back-to-back Premier League games for the first time since April last year. Uh, they uh, played Sheffield United in midweek and Eze and uh, Elise played really well. I just wonder whether or not you think that um, Eze has got the chance to sort of get into that European Championship squad because he's clearly head and shoulders above almost everything else in that squad with with the exception of Elise Crook. Yeah, but the difficulty is the competition for places in his position, I think. Um, I think Gareth Southgate probably knows that the bulk of his squad probably knows 95% of the names on the team sheet. I think he'll get a chance in, in the March internationals to, to stake his claim. But I think you might find that he could be one who, who just misses out for this for this tournament, depending on injuries. But certainly, I think he'll, he'll get his chance to, to play on the bigger stage. Those two are Palace's shining light, aren't they? And I think if they're fit, and that has been a problem for both of them over the course of the season, then they, they, they've got a chance going into you know the majority of matches. I, I could see Palace getting something here, just just based on what you've said. Brighton have, have made a habit as well at home of of failing to beat teams that you would probably expect them to put to bed. Burnley, uh, Sheffield United have both taken points at, at the Amex. And I, I do think Brighton are not the four, certainly in the Premier League, that they were last season. And I wonder in the second half of the season if we might see a real focus on the Europa League, because I do think that's possibly their best chance of getting back into Europe next season. Interesting you say that Elise and Eze are the shining lights in the middle of a room for uh, uh, Crystal Palace. I think they're the only lights in what would otherwise be an absolutely pitch black room um, because uh, they're the only ones that really get you excited and off your feet, aren't they? And they've certainly got talent. And uh, Elise is having his best ever scoring run. He scored in the last three games, four goals during that time, five in his last five Premier League appearances. Bearing in mind that before that, he wasn't really known as a regular goal scorer. That's particularly impressive, I think, uh, from him. And Eze, you know, similarly, he scored three goals in his last three games, but he usually scores at Selhurst Park where he feels a little bit more comfortable and he's got a bit more freedom to play. I think this will be a good game because it is a grudge match. And Scott, it's important for both these two teams to win. And I think when you're in a situation where both have got a point to prove, 
Roy's sort of being a bit belligerent. He wants to make sure that he, he doesn't look stupid and they end up getting dragged into a relegation battle in what was going to be probably his last season in football. And you've got De Zerbi determined to prove that that was a one-off in midweek. You, you're likely mm. to get a very good football match. Yeah, uh, you, you can imagine De Zerbi. It looks like when he's talking, he's he's got a side to him that he's almost keeping inside, bubbling inside him when things aren't going well. And yet after it's that scary, game, he's right? losing. It's scary. You'd be well, scared. You know, if you were, his, if you were his, in, in his dressing room, you'd be you'd be worried. There's, there's stuff hurling in that dressing room. There's no doubt yeah. about it. There's stuff flying around. He's he's not the tallest, but you can see he's he, you know he's very powerful with his personality. So absolutely, I'm sure you know a few players know exactly they they cannot play like that again. So reaction after that game, probably the best one they could have is is you know obviously someone they they kind of hate each other is Crystal Palace, and for Palace, I just thought look, we were there at, at the Emirates, weren't we? Where it was so poor. I mean, there was nothing positive to say apart from the performance of Eze. Um, that win against Sheffield United was massive because I think if Roy had have lost that one and then going into this one, then I think there's every chance he, he wouldn't be around. So that's, uh, I think that's given him a little bit of distance now. And these type of games, as much as you sort of think in terms of league that Brighton are the better side, home or away always seems to end in a draw. So that's probably what I'll go for as well, a low scoring draw. Uh, it's the eyes with Roberto De Zerbi for me. It's the bulging eyes. Crook will know he's been in the sort of close proximity where you're interviewing him and you say something and the eyes go really wild. You just think, right, okay. Yeah. If, if you're on the end, if you're the wrong end of those eyes, you're in big trouble. Um, uh, Newcastle United against Luton, three o'clock on Saturday. Newcastle, the first team to beat Aston Villa at home this season. The gap between the two is now 11 points, Crook. Are you okay with your bet? Um, I'll be keen to see how Villa respond uh, this weekend. I think they go to Sheffield United, don't they? Because, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that, you you know, you're riding the crest of a wave and then suddenly you have a really significant setback. I think they were only two games away from going a whole calendar year unbeaten at home. So uh, let's see if they have the, the character to bounce back. I think it's a nice cushion. And Newcastle-Luton, is, is it a give me for the home team? Bearing in mind how well Luton played in midweek, because we talked about how poor Brighton were. And speaking to people at the game, speaking to people inside the Brighton cab, they've suggested to me Luton produced the best performance that they've had against them all season. Yeah, I think they played really well, Luton Town, on the night. But is this going to be a battle of the set pieces after Newcastle's set piece show against Aston Villa? And uh, Luton Town, who love a cross into the box, maybe it will just be who comes up with the best corner kick or free kick routine. Scott, you never know. Um, I think Luton did play very well on in the game against... Um, uh, Brighton in midweek and actually it's three wins in their last five now they're a point clear of the relegation zone I don't necessarily think I mean we've given them quite a lot of credit on this show over the course of the last uh, the last couple of months but I don't really see that credit sort of being given enough to Luton Town I think they deserve a lot because they, they, you know, they've assembled a squad for a very small amount of money they haven't overreacted to being in the Premier League they took their time to get used to it but boy are they doing a very good job Oh, look, what Rob Edwards is doing is nothing short of sensational. But what the club's done in probably in the last decade, you know, we, we did a game, didn't we, uh, at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season. I think the stat was that Chelsea were 10 years ago top of the league and Europa League winners and, and Luton were in the fifth tier of English football. So to think where they are, and everybody wrote them off at the start of the season, including myself, I didn't see this. I thought if it was one of the three, I'd think it, I would have thought it'd be Burnley. 
who would look like they're going to get themselves out of it. But there's every chance. I mean, Crookie's gone early with Everton. We'll see him flip-flopping again at some point if Everton wins. Did you say that? You said that, Scott. But if I remember rightly, at Wembley Stadium, you, me and um, Crookster stood there. And my first question to you in our relegation pre-season chat was, everyone keeps saying that Sheffield United and Luton are already down before a ball is kicked. Is it as simple as that? And he said, yes, it is. (laughs) <laughs> but now he's changed his mind obviously because he does he changes his mind uh like the wind don't you mate um i actually changed my mind on luton pretty early actually scott will vouch for that i've, I've been saying for a while that it's I think when you luton went to see rob edwards we know when it was it's when you went up there and you saw rob edwards and rob edwards complained to you that people were writing them off and you went yeah rob out of order in it and you can't believe it we'll never do anything <laughs> like that it's we remember exactly when it was crook <laughs> So on to Sunday now, then only one place to start. A heavyweight clash at the top of the table as the Klopp Farewell Tour heads to the Emirates. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yes, I'm going to this game on Sunday afternoon. The Sunday session comes live from the Emirates, around the grounds, all the goals as they go in from the Premier League. And Arsenal against Liverpool kicks off at 4.30. What a match it could be and should be the match of the weekend, Scott, without uh, a shadow of a doubt. Uh, Crook, you're yeah, dancing on ice, aren't you, this weekend? So you're going to miss this, uh, which is a real shame <laughs> for you. Um, uh, but um, six of the last seven games at the Emirates have been won by Arsenal. Uh, Liverpool scoring goals for fun without Salah. In fact, without Mo Salah in the team, they've scored at least three goals in all of the matches that he's missed. How do you see this one, Chief Football Correspondent? I'm probably leaning towards Liverpool, um, to be honest. Obviously, they they had that victory there, slightly smash and grab in the FA Cup, Arsenal squandered opportunities, but I'm just not convinced Arsenal are playing that well at the moment. I know they've won their last two. Obviously, they destroyed Crystal Palace, but I think that was as much down to Palace's deficiencies as it was to to Arsenal really blowing them away. And they took a while to get going against Forest in the week as well, whereas Liverpool just seem to have this confidence about them now that they're going to outscore 
the opposition, even with Darwin Nunez, missing chance after chance after chance after chance. No doubt Scott's got a view on that. But, you know, this feels like a significant game for me. I feel like Arsenal have missed a bit of an opportunity in the transfer window. I'm, I'm surprised. And again, it probably comes down to PSR that they didn't dip into the market for a reinforcement because they put themselves once again in a really good position to challenge for the title. But I just think squad depth-wise, they are a little bit lacking. I think Liverpool are stronger. And and obviously, that's a, a flip-flop from me as well. Didn't it? it is, yeah. Well, we more flip-flops in the Javiana store. Um, <laughs> but um, isn't, it, um, isn't it true that you um, were saying this morning, or someone was saying this morning on TalkSport, uh, that they could have signed a striker and still stayed within... PSR rules is that not right? They just chose not because they couldn't find the right one. Is that is that correct? Well, that was our what our financial expert uh, Stefan Borson was saying on the on the YouTube show on, on Thursday night. And listen, he knows more about finances than me. But the fact they signed David Raya on loan with an option at the end of the season rather than just buying him outright suggests to me that, that maybe their finances aren't quite as straightforward as that. But listen, strikers are hard to find in, in January. I'll admit that, um, and, and there aren't a, a host of gettable names that are rolling off the tongue. But as I say, I just think they're, they're lacking a little bit of firepower. Arsenal, Gabriel Jesus isn't going to score enough goals. Eddie Nketiah isn't the answer. And I'm not sure, despite the fact he scored in midweek, that Bukayo Saka is, is playing quite at his premium level at this moment in time. Oh, have you looked at the underlying data? The underlying data suggests he's playing very, very well and not getting his reward for it at this moment in time. Um, Scott, um the odds suggest that Manchester City are still the favourites for the Premier League, despite the fact that Liverpool five points clear. If they win here, does that and should that change? Good question. Good question. I mean, look, City have got the game in hand, haven't they? Um, I'll be honest with you. I've been so impressed with Liverpool. And you know what I think about City and Pep Guardiola that I genuinely think at this moment in time it's 50-50 and this game will go a lot towards, step towards the title if they are able to go there and win. Let's not forget, not that long ago, they went there and I thought got away with the win in the FA Cup. You know, Arsenal in the first half were much better. But I think in just in a very short period of time, I think Liverpool have got even better. And this is without Salah, Trent and Robertson. So again, I think it shows the class of Klopp, and you could say the same with Pep, that not only their best players out, like De Bruyne and Haaland, but they're not missed because of the squad that they've got. And so for Jurgen Klopp especially, who hasn't got the money that Pep's got, I think it shows you know, what the class act he is. For me, the fascinating thing is to see whether Trent comes back in and what do you do and where do you put him? Because Conor Bradley, you know, we've spoken about him in short, brief moments he has been sensational, but you can't not play Trent in a game like this. As a fullback, how impressed have you been with him? He's been, he's your typical fullback. You know, Trent obviously is not your typical fullback, but he's a young lad. And I, I mentioned it uh, when I worked with Hugh in the studio that he reminds me a little bit of Rob Jones. Obviously, he, he didn't come through the ranks, he came from crew, but almost came from nowhere and defensively looks sound. Going forward, looks like he's got full of energy. The odd times, and I'm watching, I like to see a reaction if you make a mistake or if someone goes past you, how he reacts to that. And it looks like he's got a really good mindset where it doesn't bother him. He's able to put that to the back of his mind and just move on. So he's your more conventional fullback. You know, Hugh was saying that he's seen some people saying he's undroppable. 
I understand what they're saying because the game at Anfield against Chelsea, he was brilliant. But as I say, in these games, these are Premier League defining games. There's never one game, but these are Premier League defining games. If Liverpool go to the Emirates, then I think they go definitely 50-50 with City and Arsenal are out. If Arsenal win, they're right back in it. Uh, talking of defining moments, in defining moments, you need big players to take their chances. And Crook, you'll know all about this. Uh, Darwin Nunez, probably one of the most entertaining players in the Premier League, without doubt. On Wednesday night, he managed more shots than Marcus Rashford in Belfast. Um, so unpredictable, so chaotic, hit the woodwork four times. Great assist uh, for Diaz. Surely, Alex, you can recognise his, his qualities now. Well, he causes havoc. For, for opposition defenders and and obviously you know that helps his teammates get themselves on the score sheet but ultimately strikers are judged on goals and listen what I would say is the raw potential is there you know and I think it will come good for Darwin Nunez because he, he does menace defences he does get himself in the positions where he gets you know a lot of chances in every game and eventually he will go on a run where he, he puts the ball in the back of the net and if that happens at the business end of the season then I'm sure Jurgen Klopp will be delighted. Yes, um, I was talking to a Liverpool fan yesterday who said, look, you know, it's all right at this moment in time because Liverpool winning games, they're top of the table, they're five points clear and missing chances and being a bit chaotic and causing lots of problems for opposition defences and occasionally then coming up with a big goal. It's all very much cult hero status. That's okay and all well. And it's all well while you're putting three points on the board. But as soon as points start to dry up and all of a sudden you start realising that the guy who's supposed to score the goal is not scoring the goals, then that relationship can change quite quickly, Scott. So it, it's important, I think, that not only does he start to score, start scoring goals, but also that Liverpool keep on this great run. No, absolutely. And look, I've, I've never said he's the most clinical striker in the world. What I have said, it'd be a nightmare to play against. And he creates that havoc, which then makes Liverpool so good, which then makes helps Liverpool get the three points. So he plays a massive part in that puts the defences on the back foot. He's got everything in his attributes in terms of pace and can run the channels. He can drop off. He can come out to the left and, and come inside that way. Is he an Erling Haaland in terms of finishing? No, but you tell me, you know, as you say, loads of strikers out there aren't. Loads of clubs are looking for that clinical striker. He is part of a Liverpool team that is creating havoc, that is getting three points. And just because he's not scoring goals week in, week out, as I say, there were other players who should be doing that as well, forward players. Should he be scoring more? Yes. Would I still have him in the side all the time? Pretty much yes. OK, uh, talking of havoc, chaos and all sorts of disaster, Chelsea uh, take on Wolverhampton Wanderers this weekend. Chelsea actually in reasonably good form before they decided to uh, turn up and get absolutely savaged by Liverpool at uh, Anfield. It was quite literally a shellacking, wasn't it? I mean, it could have been seven. And, and In fact, when Darwin Nunes places the ball down to take the penalty at the end of the first half, if some if someone just turned around to me and said to me, shake on 5 nil now, I would have said, absolutely. <laughs> because it was it was so one-sided. It was... And Chelsea could have had two penalties. One, The penalty was really soft, wasn't it? The one that, uh, that was given to, to Liverpool. Um, uh, and there was even an argument, maybe there was handball in the build-up to another goal. Whatever. But even if you were like having the worst possible VAR day for, uh, uh, for, for Liverpool, they still would have thrashed Chelsea because Chelsea were just 
slower in the tackle, move the ball um, uh, 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 less tempo than, than Liverpool did. They they were just not at it. They were just they were just completely outplayed by a, a much better team who whose whose quality of passing whose tactical awareness was just so much better than theirs. And afterwards, um, Adrian Durham, never one to shy away from uh, finger-pointing, um, has basically ha- gone wiring in to the man in the dugout. This is what he had to say. I think it's time now, you know, 22 games in to shine a light on Mauricio Pochettino. He has a lot of love. People do uh, say some positive things about him. There's a lot of blaming of Todd Bowley and 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 the board and the signings and the recruitment, et cetera. However, on the pitch last night, Chelsea were hopeless. Playing out from the back, getting embarrassed by Liverpool's high press, but keeping on doing it was ridiculous. No in-game management from Pochettino. And he's got a problem because they are a shambles. They looked it last night. They were terrible. He doesn't know his best 11. Uh, He's wasting Cole Palmer's talent, played him as a false nine. He wasn't even in the game last night. He's turning Raheem Sterling into a bang average Premier League player when we know he's better than that. His teams can't defend. They cannot play away from home. His midfield changes game after game, and he doesn't have a clue about that midfield. I'm looking at it last night. Enzo and Casado, £200 million worth of midfielders there. They were totally ineffective. They lost 4-1 with those two in centre midfield. And Thiago Silva is the big one for me. Pochettino and this Chelsea side are turning Thiago Silva's end of career into a complete nightmare. It's ruining his legacy. So I think questions now need to be asked of Pochettino and how he's managing those players. Well, Chelsea had won seven of the previous eight before uh, the game against uh, Liverpool away from home. And Liverpool clearly the best team in, in the country at this moment in time. So might be a little bit strong from from Adrian, but he's never shy of uh, of coming down on one side or the other. Um, look, you know, Scott, you you should probably give your verdict on what he said there. My view is he's got some 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 points there that I think deserve to be addressed. But I think the idea, the midfield problem, is the fact that he's forced to play two players that he didn't sign in Caicedo and Fernandez. You know, how how do you turn around to the ownership and say, I'm not going to play those two £100 million players that you bought me, uh, or didn't buy me, actually, you bought Graham Potter, uh, but uh, I've got to find a way to get them into a midfield when clearly they don't blend together? Absolutely, mate. I, 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 listen, it's not good. And if you watered it down, you could agree with a lot of what Adrian said. And I love his passion and I love working with him. I don't judge Chelsea on that game because it was always going to be difficult. A team top of the table, best defence, best record and winning games from losing positions. I think they've lost just once in 63 domestic games at Anfield. And and it was less than a week still after what Jurgen Klopp had come out and said. So this was always going to be a tough game. And, and they can turn around and say, well, we should have had a couple of penalties. But the the... the the chasm between the two of them, and you know, it just goes to show how far Chelsea are from being a Premier League winning side. It is very difficult for, for Pochettino. I understand again what Adrian is saying, and at some point they've got to get better, and it's not good enough, and he knows that. But again, he said at the start of the season, I feel like I'm starting from zero. He's almost starting from like a minus hundred. That's what he was doing because of all these young, talented foreign players who are not used to the either the Premier League or the pressure of playing for a club like Chelsea and with the fans who expect, if things don't go in well, managers to be sacked, you know, and players to go. It's it's a very tough one, but they cannot keep on going down the route of sacking managers. As simple as that. They have to let this season go. Okay, Poch, 
What do you think? We want to go again. You have to give him, I think, two seasons with what's happened to try and judge. But we know what modern day football is like. You're not given that type. And obviously Chelsea, as I say, and as a fan base have been used to things aren't going well, then the manager goes. So I hope they're not listening to Adrian there. He's not wrong in a lot of what he says, but it needs time and patience, not a new manager and then new ideas that's going to take even longer for philosophy to settle in. I saw Cole Palmer play as a force nine the other week and I thought he did really well in that position, actually. Um, but it was very difficult to get to the ball. I thought Sterling was poor. I did. And uh, I think he was right to sort of highlight his performance. But I think he's been like that pretty much since he's been at Chelsea. There's been one or two dazzling performances. And in fact, you know, he started this season quite well and then he sort of faded again and hasn't had the kind of influence uh, that he was supposed to. But I think that's that's probably the biggest criticism I can level at him is that he hasn't had the kind of impact on this Chelsea squad that you would expect a player of, mm. of his calibre, of his seniority, yeah. bearing in mind that they've signed a lot of unknown players, his seniority would would have on a team. I think, I think that's been a real disappointment. And on Thiago Silva, one of the issues that you've got with Thiago Silva is that you're sort of almost in a situation where you've got to play him because Chelsea kept him around at the age of 39. But... Uh, He's 39. So, therefore, you can't necessarily play the, the way you want to play, i.e. a bit like the old sort of uh, Postacogli thing where you want to, and Liverpool, where you push up to the halfway line. He doesn't want to do that. I know that as a fact because I know that there is a coach that has said to him, we need you to push up to the halfway line. And he says, yeah, 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 in the meeting. And he get out to the pitch and he turns around to someone standing next to him and says, we're not going anywhere. So, I know that, I know that he has become a, an issue in that regard. So, and that's nothing to do with the fact that, you know, he's Thiago Silva and whatever, we have, we have to accept that he's a great player. But in this team at this moment, you're having to accommodate that. And if you're having to accommodate that, that's going to affect, have knock-on effects as to how you play. Uh, Crookie? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of Pochettino. If I had my way, he would have been at Manchester United when they appointed Eric Ten Hag. But I think it's hard to let the facts protect him here. You know, Chelsea have played 22 games in the Premier League this season. They've won nine. And and yes, obviously, he's trying to build a team. A lot of the players there, I think, have been foisted upon him as opposed to him actually wanted, wanting those players. He clearly wanted a number nine. Hasn't really got one. We'll see if Nkunku can fill that void. Can he stay fit, first and foremost, for the rest of the season? But you look at the league table. If Wolves win this game, they go above Chelsea. And you look at the situation that Gary O'Neill inherited compared to what Pochettino inherited, took over, what, three days before the season. Obviously, knew he couldn't really strengthen the transfer market because of FFP concerns. But he's found a way to get the best out of this group of players. You look above Pochettino in the table and Aston Villa under Unai Emery, who took over a team that were heading for potential relegation under Steven Gerrard, and he's turned them into Champions League contenders. You look at Postacoglu and the impact that he's had at Spurs, whose recruitment has been far better than Chelsea's, no question about that. But I'm not sure that Pochettino has had an impact on, on this Chelsea team. And I think when you look at managers around him who are coming in and hitting the ground running, I think you do have to ask questions of Pochettino. There's no way that Wolverhampton Wanderers should be in a position where they go above Chelsea in the Premier League table. It just should not happen. I think they've been crap. I agree with that. But I don't personally agree that they were... And if they were, then it, uh, I don't. they shouldn't be owning a club like Chelsea. If you're buying young players to then sell for more money with a team that should be chasing Premier League and Champions League, then something's wrong. I don't believe that was their philosophy. I just thought they were being clever 
by spending a lot of money because they thought they could. They weren't bothered about FFP because points deduction at that particular time didn't look serious. And um, and yet they bought young, foreign, potential talent under 25. And you need leaders. And you're right, Sam, in terms of Raheem Sterling, I've been disappointed with him as well. He is one of the few leaders. You know, you've got Conor Gallagher, who is very inexperienced and shouldn't be one of our leaders. And then you've got Rhys James is never fit. You've got Cole Palmer, who is our leader. It's just an absolute shambles it is. But I, I don't believe they were buying players to try and sell on for, for more money. Top, top, top clubs shouldn't be doing that. Well, not top, top, top club at this moment in time. Um, be interesting to see what everybody else thinks about Maurizio Pochettino. Uh, Manchester United against West Ham. Uh, statement from Rashford uh, this week. Uh, coming into the team and scoring a goal. But then, you know, let's be honest about it. That is what he's supposed to do. Um, he is a striker. Scoring goals is kind of his currency. Well done. Um, I thought, actually, this was the Man United game was a brilliant game to watch. And I thought they played better than I've seen them play for a very, very long time. And maybe that's because of the fact that they had all their players back. But I also think, and again, Scott will be very happy about this, Luke Shaw makes a massive, massive difference. Uh, they play West Ham this week. Nervy debut for Calvin Phillips. I mean, say nervy, probably the worst possible start to a career, a new club that you could possibly have, bearing in mind you pass back to someone for Solanke and he scores within the first touch. I mean, it was pretty sad for him. But actually, they came back into the game against Bournemouth and did very well in the, well, did well enough in the end. Could have back makes a massive difference for them. That should be a well-contested game. I would ask you about it. But Jeremy's already screaming at me to shut up and move <laughs> on. Uh, so we will do that. Um, Alex, where are you this weekend? I'm at the Derby that isn't a Derby. Brighton Palace. And then it's Dance Week at Dancing on Ice. I'm going to attempt to yodel uh, live on national television. So tune in for that. Uh, Everton against Tottenham is live on Talk Sport, 12.30 on Saturday. Uh, Game Day Live takes you round the ground with Danny Mills, Mickey Gray and Adrian Clark. Uh, Adrian Durham is presenting that. Brighton Crystal Palace is on TalkSport 2. Sunday, uh, the session with me, uh, I'll be taking you around the grounds of the WSL. Plus, we'll be based at the Emirates for Arsenal against Liverpool. It's going to be a big game and we are looking forward to it. Can't wait. We'll see you then and we'll review it all on Sunday night, Monday morning. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.